You're listening to the Calm Collective Podcast, and I'm your host, Cassandra. This show was created with the sole intention to bring forth human connection, a space for you to be truly heard, felt, and understood. Here, we dive deep into experiences with grief and loss, growth and expansion, and the human experience as a whole through candid conversations. My mission is to leave no stone unturned so that together we can be reminded day in and day out that we're never in any of this alone, that the ability to create a life that we love, a life that we deserve, is within us. Hello and welcome to the Calm Collective Podcast. I'm Cassandra and I'm so grateful that you're here for another episode today all about grief. I am just so lit up by these experiences that I'm getting to share. I know that I've shared my own grieving experience so much here on the podcast since it started two years ago, and I have no intent of stopping that, but I felt so pulled, so pulled this time around with season five and beyond to give space to those who have a story to share in their own grief as well. I feel so strongly about giving ache some air, giving ache room to breathe. And I think that comes along with having someone to share it with, having the space and the freedom to share your pain, share your memories, um, share your experiences. And I think all of us are better for it, whether you are also going through your own grieving experience or you have someone who's going through grief and you don't know what to say. These, These episodes, these personal stories are not just for those who have endured loss, right? They are so much bigger than that. They, um, they extend into human empathy. They give us the chance to see others in a new light and to understand depths of depths of the human experience that maybe we can't quite relate to. Today's episode with my dear friend Sorel is a really powerful one. Um, he too lost his father, but there is a lot huh a lot more depth to his loss than I can even wrap my head around. And he does such a beautiful job narrating the experience as a young child. Um, And something else that he touches on that I just want to highlight, I'm not going to keep you here much longer because I'm just so lit up by this conversation and want you to hear it as soon as possible. But something that Sorel mentions is that grief to him, he does not equate the word grief with death he likes to look at the word grief as loss and loss of any kind. And this really expanded my mind because I've felt that for so long. I've I've tried to convey that here on the podcast and even in my close inner circles with people who I love and with the the one-on-one support that I that I offer over at the Calm Collective that um Grief extends beyond the death of a loved one. It can be a breakup. It can be the loss of a job. It can be a reroute of your life. Sorrel and I get into this. And when he put it so perfectly and just so simply that, yeah, grief grief is not, grief does not just equal death. 
grief equals loss. And so again, I welcome you to listen to these personal grief stories um, with an open heart and an open mind that you don't have to have endured death to to resonate or to take something away from these episodes. Um, an invitation for you. If you are someone who is going through loss of any kind and you feel like your story needs air, your ache needs air, your experience needs a place to land, I would be honored to hold that space for you. You can contact me anywhere that I show up on Instagram through DM at the calm collective underscore. You can email me directly at hello at the calm collective.com. You can go to my website and fill out a contact form, whatever way feels good for you to get in touch with me. If you would like to share your story, I would love to have you and to hold that space. Thank you so much for being here. Let's flow into this beautiful, beautiful episode with Sorrel Starks. Sorrel, I'm so freaking honored to have you on the show. Um, a little background as to how I know Sorrel. I found him through my dear friend Tess, who has also been on the podcast. Um, I was sort of just like so intrigued by things that you would post on Instagram and quickly sort of like just fell in love with the way that your mind works and the way that you write. And since then, you've, I just told you like before we started recording, I was like, oh, I feel like you're one of my good friends and we've never met. We've never even like spoken in this way before, but um, I'm just super honored that you've carved out the time to come on the show today and talk with me. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm very honored. Uh, some of the episodes I've listened to have been super deep. Um, I was like, for you to talk to me, uh, it's a privilege here. So thank oh, you. Yeah, of course. So before we dive in, let's back up a bit. Where are you from? And tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like. So I am originally from Detroit. I live in Phoenix now. Um, uh, my childhood was kind of the quintessential Detroit experience in terms of, you know, just uh, growing up in the city. I grew up in like the new center area. Uh, I know it's going through a total renovation now, so I'm not even sure if the neighborhood is the same. Uh, when I was about six or seven, uh, second grade, I moved to Fraser, Michigan for about a year and a half, two years. Um, that year and a half, two year stretch totally flipped my life upside down and kind of shaped all these years later, you know, who I am, what my life has turned out to be. And I'm sure that's what we'll get into a bit mm-hmm. of today, because that's kind of where, you know, everything just got flipped on its head. Right. Um, so. Do you have any siblings? And like, what was the dynamic like growing up yes. in your home? Yeah, so uh, I have two siblings. I'm the oldest. Um, we, it's so funny. I was just telling my girlfriend the other day, we were talking about um, kind of our growing up experience. And she was just like, oh, did you guys have like the sibling rivalries? And I was like, we actually didn't. And it's one of those things I never really thought about. Um, we're just a very close-knit bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, we are each four years apart. And so I think that kind of had a lot to do with it. There was always only one of us in high school at a mm-hmm. time, for example. So it wasn't, and I'm sorry, I have a brother who's in the middle and uh, the youngest is our sister Paige. Uh, and we are just 
you know, like the the three amigos. One of my aunts called us the chipmunks out, and we Sweet. just have always had each other's backs. Um, and so we, I, I guess, we're very fortunate. When I talked to my friends um, that that. You know, that fighting and the sibling rivalry thing just has never existed for us. Yeah, you're kind of just, like, always in a flow with one another. That's so nice. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, you know, it's weird uh, because my brother and sister, they can literally finish each other's sentences. Like, they laugh. It's like, they're like a laugh track. They, mm. they stop laughing simultaneously. <laughs> it's crazy. But, yeah, that, that's us. That's cool. So now can you give us some background for those who may not yet be familiar with you? Um, just sort of like how you show up in the world and on the Internet. So like what lights you up? What gets you heated and motivated to share? Because when you share, you <laughs> you crack open and I love it. So I, I was just talking to a friend about this this week. I, I think especially with just everything that has gone on in the last year from obviously starting with COVID going into just social unrest with George, excuse me, George Floyd and uh, the rallies and the protests that have kind of taken place after that. And then mm-hmm. obviously the election and the insurrection after that. Um, it's kind of, I've always cared about the things that matter. Um, I think one of the things that's fired me up a bit uh, over the last several months is kind of looking at your your own social circles and, and making sure the people around you care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that fires me up on social media is when I'm like, you know, it's 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 far bigger than just posting about it. You know, we all need to be, you know, what are we doing after that? How are we acting? How are we actually helping? But I think for me, as I'm sure you can see, uh, someone who, who follows me on there, is when I see people kind of carrying on life as normal, whether it be COVID, whether it be uh, in, a, in a light of social unrest or, you know, the things that have been, um, you know, as a consequence of the election, um, that is what bothers me. Because I think, especially my friends or people in my, my social dynamic, you know, we're all at the age now, we're in a generation where, like, every little thing affects us. Mm-hmm. And what bothers me is when I feel like people just kind of aren't getting that and just, you know, going on with, with life as normal. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel almost a moral obligation a responsibility to, to, you know, not educate, but just get people involved. You know, mm-hmm. the the situation down in Texas is a great example mm-hmm. of why voting matters. You know, I'm sure over the last two decades as that situation played out, there were people who are, you know, ballot measures on the board for the different commissions to put that in place. And, and you know, people are like, oh, it doesn't affect me. Well, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but here you are 10, 15 years later and, there's almost a week with no water and power. You're not and invisible. So that's yeah. why you kind of got to do the work now. Yeah. Um, you know, to just put you and your loved ones in a, in a good position. So when you see me going, my, I call them rants and, um, you know, everyone messages me and they're like, keep going, keep going. Don't, don't stop. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Well, and let me say too, though they're different. Like rant can come can like come with like a negative connotation, but they're very, um, yeah, they're very powerful. They're educational. They're not like there isn't a lot of judgment built into them. And that's, I think what I appreciate about it so much is you kind of like every time I read something that you write, it like lights a fire under my own ass. And I think that's what we need more of. And I agree. I think you said it beautifully with like treating something like Instagram that can be used for fun as well, but like treating it as a responsibility, especially our generation, like you said, as a means to use our voice and try and make some change. So I really appreciate that about you. 
yeah, it's, uh, you know, I try to make it, I think yesterday I put the little poll thing up and I try to make it interactive too. So it's not totally. just, oh, here's Sorel again, rah, rah. Yeah. Um, because I, I know that can be, you know, a bit doom and gloom, but these are doom and gloom times. For just sure. To be, you know, as bare and real as you can about yeah. it. And, um, you know, our mutual friend Tess does a great job of, I, I think, of with a smile getting yeah. everyone to say, She's hey. so fiery. Like, yeah. You know, light that fire. So. Yep. Absolutely. So today I asked Sorrel to come on because he lost his father and I had written something on Instagram just for like a short brief synopsis on how this even came to be. And um, you had basically said something of, you know, you have lost, you lost your dad a while ago and how it can still pop up all these years later. And it just kind of got us to talking, and I was like, oh, I want to crack this open. So Sorel is here today to dive deep in his journey with grief as a grown man, um, as someone who lost his dad at a young age. So before we do begin on that topic, if you don't mind, I wanted to read something that you wrote. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Sorel has such a way with the written word. You truly write so beautifully, and this excerpt around the loss of your dad is no exception. So... You wrote, I think about the last time that I saw him, not at a basketball game a few nights before, but that afternoon in my dream. I drowned myself to sleep in a pillow of tears. That stoic, straight-lined smile staring down at me and his palm the size of a baseball mitt cupping my head. Even in my dream, his scent of vanilla and cocoa butter mixed on him in a way that it didn't mix on anyone else. His eyes revealed his worst-kept secret that he loved his son with the strength of 10,000 hearts. Ugh. I like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. So with that being said, can you tell us a little bit about your dad? What was his name and what was he like? What was his energy like? You know, it's so funny because we were just making a joke right before you started recording about, you know, my name. I have a thousand names. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until a few years ago when I started reflecting on my dad that I realized that uh, um, there were some parallels there. So my, my dad's uh, first name was Maurice and his middle name was Dion. My childhood, everyone called him Dion. It was one of those things, um, I, I've kind of written about this, as a seven-year-old, I was a bit kind of, what do you say, uh, too big for your bridges. I, I, I was probably a 10, 11-year-old in a seven-year-old's body. And it, it was one of those moments where you're looking at the obituary and like, oh, my God, my dad's name is not Dion. It, it's his middle name. Yeah. So by me going by my middle name, um, there's been all these, especially the last several years, these parallels I've noticed between he and I. Um, he was an athlete. Uh, you know, he went to school. He grew up in um, Detroit. And he went to school with like some of the football greats like Jerome Bettis. As he played baseball, he played basketball. And, um, you know, life like you know, many people living in inner city in the mid 80s to late 80s kind of took him down some other paths and, and he didn't really follow the sports route uh, as he probably should. Um, but to me, he was, you know, my dad and he was this larger than life hero. And I think, you know, when you're a kid, all dads are old, you know, and you're just like, he, he there's no age. There's just kind of dad and dad is old. <laughs> and, uh, several years ago, I was kind of, I had gotten a big uh, envelope for my great aunt and I was going through uh, some stuff one day, a random afternoon. 
And I came across his death certificate. And initially I thought it was his birth certificate, but I realized um, he died when he was 29. And that was like just a total moment for me because my entire life, I just, you know, I don't know what age it should be. He's got to be 35, 40. And I think I was like 28 or 27 myself when I, when I found or really realized that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like 30 became like this, like mountaintop for me. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make it to 30. And that seems like a morbid thought because why we all take it for granted. Why wouldn't you make it to 30? And I remember mm-hmm. talking to a sister, my aunt about that. And it kind of rubbed it the wrong way. She was like, well, you know, there's more after that. You don't just want to stop there. And I was like, well, it, it's not about that for me. And it, it's just kind of this personal milestone for me. Mm-hmm. And almost in an unhealthy aspect, I became obsessed with the age of 30, positively mm-hmm. and negatively. And I think the negative aspect of it is I started worrying, like, what's on the other side? And, um, I wrote about that, uh, I think it was called uh, 30 Trips Around the Sun or something like that. And just my journey to 30 and what I thought lied ahead and, you know, those countdown days into it. And he had a lot to do with that. And one of the things I've, I've kind of been saying about my dad, when people ask about him over the last couple of years, is that his death was like the most single defining event of my life mm-hmm. so far because it has shaped or affected almost everything since so for sure I can so relate to that so how old were you when you lost him and do you mind sharing with us how he passed I was seven um my dad was murdered when I was seven um wow. I remember that day the day I found out um I mean literally like it was this morning uh it was picture day third grade um, I remember at all, like, uh, cream colored beige sweater. My mom used to dress me like, literally like I was like Carlton Banks. So that, uh, that, all my picture days in childhood. Like, I've I seen those pictures. Like, in a suit. Yeah, <laughs> I posted amazing. those pictures. I'm like yeah. in a suit, like literally a baby so in OK, cute. like on a Tuesday afternoon. Right. Um, but I got, and my mom was like a stickler with education. Like I did not get pulled out school early and so when the uh principal's assistant came and, and got me out I was like oh that's odd um and so uh you know my mom's in the office um I'm asking a million questions as any um kid would and I think you know this just what I'm going to say after this shows kind of how your life can literally change in a dime. Because I'm asking her questions like, oh, we're going to get ice cream. Like, right. you know, we're about to go to, you know, all the things that you think if you're getting put out of school, we're going to play hooky. Yeah. And as we're getting closer to the car, and there's like this long walk from, I'll never forget, I went to Eisenhower, Eisenhower Elementary in Fraser, And when you exit the doors in, there's what feels like a 100-yard walk to the street level or the parking lot. And as we're getting closer, I'm noticing that there's people in my mom's car. And it turned out to be my cousin and my aunt. And I was like, mm, okay, that's, you know, the wheels are are turning. Obviously not thinking of what's coming. Right. And we get in. I'm, at this I'm like excited, kind of a little puppy. Like, there's people. Like, yeah. What are we going to do? And uh, we immediately just crossed the main road uh, once the car started going. And then into uh, our subdivision where we were living at the time. And I was like, well, why are we going home? And... 
my mom just started saying, you know, I have to tell you something. Um, and so, you know, I think I, I was still a bit like excitement slash angst at that point. And then by the time we got in the, um, in, back in the house, she, uh, she had sat down and she goes, you know, you're not going to like what I have to say. And at that point, like, you know, well, we're not going to get ice cream. We're not going, you know, to, to the movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, those few seconds or a minute or whatever in between are blurred, but I just remember her saying, you know, your dad died. And that hit me, but it wasn't necessarily yet what broke me. Uh, and I think I wrote about this. It's once I asked, um, how did he die? Yeah. And I don't know what it was about the, that answer, um, but it shattered me. And I remember just sprinting to my room and just getting lost and the pillows and a blanket and just literally cried myself to sleep. Um, and, you know, my life has been different ever since. That is just such a fucking tragedy. I mean, it's like loss and death in itself is a tragedy, but then for something to be taken from you in that way, that's something that I can't wrap my brain around and a reason that you're here because I think it's such a different kind of grief, right? Like grief is not linear. It's not one size fits all. Um, so how did, how did this, as you started getting older and really processing this type of loss, how did this start to affect you and change you as you kind of moved into those teenage years? And well, into the teenage years, it, it became almost a selfish grief because Mm. you know, you're a teenager, no one matters except you. Yeah. things that you care about so you know dad's not at the track things he's not at um you know my basketball games Uh, as high school graduation got closer he was going to be there so it's like these events um not even necessarily and obviously i care but like the just my dad being alive it was like he is missing these things Mm -hmm. um and my mom had uh married uh, i guess for backstory my mom and my dad were uh you know, total best friends. Um, I would be lying to her if I said they're high school sweethearts, but they were just extremely, mm. extremely close. So I feel like I'm here for a re- I always joke that, you know, I'm a blessing. <laughs> you are. Um, but so my mom had, had married, um, and I had a stepdad. He, he was great in, in bringing us up, but, you know, there was still that, that void there. Um, yeah. And it, you touched on something great is I think I had – the understanding even at seven years old that you know he was taken from me it's different um it still hurts um because one of the things i'll probably mention in a little bit is right after like the second and third most important person to me died as well my grandma but you know she was older and so you're able to kind of box that a little bit in a different manner um but you just almost feel that you know you're robbed um you know someone stole your life almost in a sense too mm-hmm. because they took this this giant who was in your life and you know it's just uh that that, that to answer your question i'll circle back around it was him missing monumental moments in my life and i think of late now now that i've surpassed 29 and i'm even 31 you know i think about this and honestly like am I, what or am i experiencing things that, that he never did and this is a oh, yeah. total random weird analogy, but I am obsessed with um, 
history and like uh, the monarch, British monarch history. And I studied Queen Elizabeth like at nauseum, and I, you know, kind of par- thought, you know, once she reached her dad's age, because she has been very open in, in how much her own father's death affected her. You know, did she have kind of these similar thoughts? You know, this person who's this giant in my life, I'm kind of doing this life thing that he never experienced. And I think that's just such a fascinating thought to kind of think about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, do you feel like a lot of times, like what you do moving forward and like who you've become is honoring sort of the legacy or like the things that he didn't get to do? Does that sort of energy come Yes, and Come so I, most people know I like to, to travel to states a lot and, yeah. like, just uh, visit a bunch of different places. And I feel that I would almost be doing a disservice if I were to just kind of sit and, and do nothing yeah. because I feel like I'm, I've been, you know, I'm tasked with the responsibility of living life for two people almost. Yeah. And... I just feel it would be irresponsible of me to just kind of, you know, I, I, there's so many people I see, life just seems to be passing them by. Not in the sense that they're not accomplishing anything, but it just seems to be a bit redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like there, there's no time for that. Mm-hmm. So it, and I'm, it does drive. Yeah, I'm curious. I want to ask you because, like, you know, obviously we can relate in that in that way from the standpoint of, like, I definitely have a different perspective on life. Like my BS meter is so low or like just, (laughs) it's hard to explain, but I'm just like, there are so much bigger things out there. There are so Mm -hmm. many bigger priorities out there. Um, But I often too can find myself slipping back into that like normalization of like, I forget of the beautiful perspective that I have that came at a high price Mm -hmm. um and I'm wondering if you ever find that you like start to like dip into that um as well like you kind of like lose the focus of of the perspective that you have yeah one of the things um something happens to you mentally yeah and and it's so true yeah um I start I've just started reflecting the last year and however many months um on just and one of the questions I asked myself is, had life turned out differently if my father was still alive, would I still have that same fire to live? Not in terms of breathing every day, but to experience things yeah. and, and to want to do and go. Uh, um, I think I would because that's the kind of person he was. So I, sometimes I wonder, you know, either way if I'd still be this way. But there is that that extra sense of you know get out there and. And, and do and see, mm-hmm. um, like you said, to honor his memory. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I want to circle back um, to your childhood and sort of present moment, but what was the dynamic around grief like within your family? Was it talked about? Was it something that was more hush-hush? And I think this question is important because – I think a lot of us grow up tiptoeing around the subject or we're taught that it's an ugly thing to discuss. Um, that wasn't my experience, but to me, it's it's something that happens just like the air we breathe. Death is inevitable, but death at an early age is, mm-hmm. is not the norm. So um, I'm curious if, if that was so, something that was like talked about within your home. Um, it 
I was extremely and and, and currently extremely fortunate to be totally surrounded by a very loving family. Um, that has been a blessing in my life since day one. Um, and they shined mm. in that moment. Um, mom, obviously starting with my mom, um, she was a rock star. There, There's a moment in time that afternoon, I kind of remember uh, her coming in my room and, you know, just, it could have been 10 seconds, it could have been, you know, an hour. Mm. And I just cried, you know, in her embrace. And my mom very much believes in the, in the mantra that it takes a village and, mm-hmm. you know, within a few hours, the entire family was, was at, our, at our place and my young cousins and my aunts. And um, from that afternoon until right now, you know, they've always been there for me. Um, yeah, the one thing I do remember in terms of the grief experience itself is maybe the next day or within the week or so, uh, we're at my grandparents and my papa, you know, he's, you know, 75, 80 year old, uh, man at that point, just kind of hard. And I had never really seen him himself show emotion or anything like that. And, uh, they had one of those old Victorian Detroit homes, uh, in some historic district. And he comes in and I'm kind of sitting at the desk with my back to the, to the door. He comes in and, uh, I'm told, uh, just tell us one of the story this way kind of sum it up and and all the emotion he could muster he goes sorry about your dad but I knew yeah in that moment it was you know love yeah. in his way totally. um and want to you know be so young and you know many people who lose grandparents early don't really have memories of them and that's one of my fond ones of him because mm. even though in hindsight it may have come out um, you know, code or, you know, just how some grandparents can, and special grandfathers can be, that was his way of showing love and, and totality of the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably my fondest memory mm-hmm. of my papa and, and you know, yeah. his way of showing love. Everyone, everyone else though was very outward and, mm-hmm. and you know, hugs and embraces and, and just actions and being mm-hmm. there for both me and my mom. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was very blessed and continued to be uh, in that regard. Mm-hmm. And do you guys still talk about him freely? Like, is it something where you'll bring him up? Um, or what does that feel like? I do. It, there, yeah. I, I am cognizant and, and something I really kind of had to check myself. I am very guarded about my dad when it comes to my dad and people talking about him and, and people bringing him up and I like to be the initiator of it. Um, Interesting. On the flip side, I do like you know, a couple years ago and my older cousins, they're like five or six years older than me. Um, but they have extremely fond memories of my dad that I didn't even realize. Mm. Um, and one of them was visiting us in Arizona several years ago. And we're just talking about what a great guy my dad was. And um, it was one of those moments where I, I had to realize, you know, you have your, your memories and they're yours and it's your person. Uh, and you have to remember that, you know, he touched and affected other people's lives too. 
and in that moment, I actually felt really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you you kind of go back into your okay, well, that's my person. So oh, that's I, such I, an know, I, interesting perspective. Yeah, and I have to check myself on yeah. it, and still working on it. Um, but you know, it's it's like my yeah. It, it sounds morbid to have a kind of possessive attitude over it but that that's kind of what gets me through no I mean that makes perfect sense and like I can't relate that's not my experience but that's why I'm so fascinated by the grieving experience is because everyone just like has their own way of expression or or emotion like for me I I'll be so honest and say that I am like crawling out of my skin when I'm in a room and I'm just like willing someone to bring him up because I'm like please mm-hmm. someone give me a reason to talk about him right, right because yeah. I generally don't bring him up first uh-huh. and so I've no. had to be like really vocal with my close friends and being like talk about him anytime you want I love it <laughs> it, it is you know something uh I was listening to one of your earlier episodes and maybe might have been from 2019 and you were talking about um I think during the memorial service for mm. your dad, you were looking around and you were starting to see like friends you hadn't seen since you were young and just how it, it, it kind of hit you. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was thinking about that. This is a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to that one. And I was like, there's so many emotions in that moment. Yeah. It's like, you almost get sadder because totally. why am I seeing these faces I haven't seen in, you know, yeah. several 10, 15 years. But then on the flip side, there's like this, you're like illuminated almost because you're like, fuck yeah, he like, it's a cool cat. Like he touched people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's, that's grief for you. It yeah. is a roller coaster. Absolutely. And so that's a really beautiful segue because I often talk about the five stages of grief. I say this with air quotes, the five stages. And <laughs> I try to demystify the notion that they're in some like perfect order, right? That you start with anger and when you get to the fifth, acceptance or something, you're healed. Um, I think there needs to be more in-depth communication around this subject because for so many of us, we assume, I'm not speaking directly for you and me, but I think as a collective, we can assume that we're doing it incorrectly or that we're just totally fucked if like it's not in some synchronistic order. So I like to say rather that grief is a loop, that those five stages They kind of orbit around you, right, for the rest of your life, sometimes one by one, sometimes all at once, and that fucking hurts when that happens. So what was your experience like moving through all of those emotions then, and what does that look like for you now? Would you say, would you agree with that, that grief is kind of all over the place? And Yes, grief is not, um, you know, it's not you kind of orbiting in this building, let's mm-hmm. say, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you just, you have this objective of getting out the door. And once you get out that door, the grief's left behind you. Beautiful it's part. more like that, <laughs> that uh, revolving door in a hospital or something like that. And that's for the rest of your life. You're in it, yeah. It's been, this will be year 31 uh, this fall. And, no, I'm sorry. I'm that, like, that you're 31. <laughs> been forever now um and you know it's not it's it's never gonna go away there's mm-hmm. always things that you know basketball he he had such a dying love for basketball I can't watch a game without thinking about my dad mm-hmm. um 
thinking about one day having my own kids and, and just wanting them to look at me almost superhero like the way I looked at him, wanting to leave certain like uh, I've been dating my girlfriend for about three months now and uh, I forgot where we were and the smell hit me so intensely. Oh my god. That yeah. was that is so she's like, real. What's wrong? I was like, I smell my dad. And I was like, this might sound totally crazy, but it's him. Like, it is such a distinct smell. And I'm, like, looking around for, like, trying to find, like, I'm sure, like, some maniac. Like, trying to find who that is, what they're wearing, and, and where can I find it? Because those are the things that always kind of keep you in a the moment. They take you back to those places. They, you know, I, I don't know of anyone who has reached a finish line of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I personally don't think it exists. So yeah, I'm with you that mm-hmm. yeah. it's going to always be there. So let's talk about time for a second because like time in relation to grief. So for me, this was the biggest proof that time really is linear. Um, because some days it can still feel like yesterday, you know, like you said, you can go back to that memory of being picked up from school. Um, and you depicted it like down to, down to the moment. And I think that there is the proof, you know, and, um, I, I think what's hard for people who have lost someone close to them is that you, you don't have any concept of time, but on the flip side, I get very anxious about it. So we just hit year seven, well in December. And for me, I'm like, oh my God, that feels like a long time to people. People are going to expect me to like be a certain way or to get over it soon or like to talk about it less or to ache less. And I think that's something that you and I had related on. Like when you messaged me on Instagram, you know, that you were like, it's been all these years, you know, 20 plus years and it still hurts, you know, like it still feels just as real as it did the day we lost him. So can you let us into your experience with time as it relates to grief and loss and sort of like what that experience is like when someone maybe says like, how old were you when your dad died? Do you feel that like contracting in your chest of like, I was little, but hold on. Like it's, it's still. Yeah. So prior to when I, it's just like forever going out when I messaged you that, um, yeah. I did I kind of struggle with it internally. And it wasn't that, anyone had guilted me or, you know, subtly hinted that, hey, you know, it's time to get over that. It was just that me putting this pressure on myself, almost like we do with everything in life, that, hey, you know, maybe you need to, like, you know, move on. Like, mm. it's, it's been a while. And when I messaged you, um, one, typing it out, I actually, no, one, reading your words, two, typing it out, and then three, reading back, our conversation a few days later, I was like, wait, this is okay. Like, mm-hmm. there is no, I'm, I'm putting this pressure on myself. There's no handbook anywhere. There's no rules and regulations that, you know, you can only grieve for a certain amount of time. And I think, you know, as you reach more milestones in life, as you, you know, have these uh, events that happen, it's, it's literally only human nature to reflect and in that reflection of loss, you know, that sadness, that anger, that that rage and that grief mm. is going to come back to the forefront. And that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would absolutely be lying if I if I said that I didn't reach a point where I just thought, you know, maybe 
I am just kind of dragging this along or, or, you know, holding myself back by reflecting. But um, yeah, I would say the last several months, it, I've accepted it. And, and, it's, and it's healed me in a way. Um, and I think that that's been the real beauty of it. There. Mm-hmm. And again, like I want to kind of go back, like when you said I've, I've accepted it and there's been a lot of healing in that, like I think that is so beautiful and I could not agree more. And within that, that does not mean that you aren't still brought to your knees. And I think that is what is so important is like that acceptance is not like period the end. It's like you've accepted it. You're healing from it. Um, you're able to like move through life, living out his legacy rather than being like, I am stuck. I am paralyzed. I don't know what to do. It's so funny you say that because the last memory I have of that exact feeling, all those elements you just named was, it'd be six years now. Um, I was graduating from college from Arizona state. I just said, you know, they, they do the big one. That's for the whole university and mm. we're sitting on the field, uh, the football field. I just sat down and, you know, it's May, so I'm sure it's already creeping at 90 degrees, but it's evening, the sun's starting to set, and I'm just looking around trying to spot my family in the, in the stands. And my chest just started burning. Like, it felt like it was on fire. And I was like, what is going on? And because, you know, it's kind of, on some days, it's kind of tucked back there and you got other stuff going on. Yeah. And I'm thinking it, and then like, it hits me and I was like, oh my God. And I feel like my eyes start to like, you know, water up and it's, it's you know, he's not here. Mm-hmm. And I want to say in college it was, or at that moment, it was one of the first times that it hit me so hard. And I just let it go. I didn't mm-hmm. even try to hold it. I'm sitting there and uh total stranger he had just sat down he looks at me he was like i know man it, 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 i didn't think i would be here either and i just i started dying laughing yeah and i'm like well shit i didn't think i would be here but that's yeah you're like, sure about in, my, in my head so oh, it, man. It, it, and i'm sure those moments you know if i live however many more years you know they'll come oh, off and on as those monumental you know milestones are achieved yeah or if you smell someone again in the airport like that has happened to me where you're like where is he it is so intense it is so intense i don't think that people who haven't well number one let me say this it wasn't until a few years ago where i learned that there were friends or people my age who hadn't experienced grief yet i feel like i've lost so many of the most important people in my life Mm -hmm. That I just kind of think, you know, everyone's going through that. And mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, I was dating someone, and she, like, had all her grandparents left. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, that's the thing at this age? Um, and so, you know, realizing that there, there are people even still, you know, in our generation, our age, who haven't experienced a true loss in that sense mm-hmm. yet. Um, and so they just, you know, kind of can't relate. But then you start trying to, mimic their emotions and you have to just realize your, your experience and your life and your journey is totally different yeah um so that, that that's been another kind of learning curve or learning lesson I've had to teach myself yeah so flowing into I want to talk about support so first off I want to ask you like in this present moment when you have those moments where you're like oh fuck that hurts and sometimes like let's say they're debilitating right and you're just like I'm just I'm in it today I'm in a mood 
How do you seek out support now to keep yourself grounded and healing in a way that feels nourishing to you when you're just having an off day? And I'd like to add with this new relationship, like, is it something that you kind of need to be open with her about and be like, yo, I lost my dad. This is baggage that comes up sometimes. How do you navigate? It's fine. As you're as you're wrapping that question up, I was like, "Oh God!" I know my friends when they listen to it, <laughs> they're going to like turn the volume up because I have an issue sometimes accepting support, accepting help, be it emotional, whatever. And the flip side, totally millennial twenty twenty one. I want to know that it's there. So, like, uh, a great example is. is if I feel like I don't have the option of going to friends or loved ones for support, mm-hmm. I'll notice it and I'll be pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's there, I may not want it, but I want to know I have that option. Yeah. Um, as as for my girlfriend Zoe, she has been totally understanding, even though it's still so early. But yes, there was something I kind of brought up early, saying, "Hey, you know this. This is this thing. This." skeleton in my closet and it, it, it rears its head at, at it's times. It's a part of you. And, you know, yeah. reflect on my college graduation sometimes uncontrollably when I, and I, when I least expect it most. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get to pick and choose when it rears its head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am fortunate enough to be with someone who is just gracious and totally understanding and patient and deals with all my particularness and, and, you know, she's, she's there for the unconditional road. So that's amazing. I'm lucky in that regard. So when someone in your life endures loss, I know you said that you haven't really had a lot of people experience sort of the loss on your level, but for conversation's sake, I want to bring this up because I think a lot of people are like, I don't know what to say. Right. Like, how do I support that person as someone who is in it, who is living a life with grief? What is your advice as far as like offering support to those who have endured loss? I am so glad you asked that because this is something that I struggle with. Um, So one of one of my close friends several years ago. Yes, she was one of those friends. She hadn't lost anyone in the last few years. Her, her grandparents have, have started to pass away, unfortunately. And I remember, um, I think it was her, her grandfather that passed away first. I didn't really know what to say. And separate from her, something I noticed uh, a few years ago was that I was, this has been something my, my girlfriend now is noticing about me. I'm very empathetic and sympathetic to strangers or, you know, if I see a homeless person on the street or if we're watching a news story, I'm like, oh, what can I do to like, you know, how can I help? How can I, can I donate? Mm-hmm. What can I do? But with my loved ones, it kind of evokes a different emotion. I don't know what to say or do. And I think the reason for that is I lost my dad in 97. Next to my mom, my grandma was like 1A. Like she was just another mother for me. And I lost her like two, two and a half years later. Um, that one hit me tougher one because I was a bit older. But now you have in this three, two, three-year span, I've lost like two of the very most important people to me at a very impressionable developmental stage in my life. Um, and I think that affected my feelings, so to speak. We were mm. at breakfast with my mom. and so for, oh, I th- We were talking about this podcast coming up, actually. I was like, how did that come up? 
And my mom kind of is, I, I get it from her, she's kind of poking at it because mm-hmm. she wanted me to say the word. And I finally said desensitized mm-hmm. because you have these huge losses in, especially so early in life. And it's like, well, what, what is after this? Like what could possibly what could be, be worse? worse? And so as friends are starting to, you know, go through these moments, I don't know what to say because one thing I hate, I feel like you've touched on this on a separate uh, episode before is that, you know, I don't need you to say, and I, and I'm aware that, you know, it is not the same. I don't know what they're going through. Even if they lose their dad, it's a totally different situation. 100%. Just because I've lost my dad. I don't know what you feel like right yeah. now. I don't Your know grief what is yours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, um, that, that's been something I'm actually still having to teach myself as yeah. well. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful answer. I love the honesty behind it. Yeah. That you're not just like coming up with <laughs> something. Cool. You're like, I'm with you. I don't know what to say either. I've started, yeah. there's two things. Like even when people, I'm trying to be better about when people respond to me, you know, when I say that I lost my dad, they used to always be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'd be like, it's okay. And now I'm like, no, it's not okay. So why do yeah. I keep saying that? Now I'm yeah. just like, thank you so much, you know, but- yeah. On the flip side, I just had um, um, an acquaintance lose her dad, and I reached out to her. But same thing. I was, like, not desensitized, but almost, like, paralyzed of, like, I don't know what to say, but I know I need to say something. So I, like, let some time pass. And then I just remember writing to her of, like, I ache for you. Like, there is nothing worse than this. You know, and I told my friend Jamie, I'm like, it's sitting in the mud with people and just meeting them where they're at, not trying to make it better, not trying to, like, take anything away, but just, like, literally sitting in the mud and being like, ugh. Do you you almost feel robotic in those moments? Or it's like, "Ah, here's my generated response almost. And and you, and you, you do care, but... I don't know if robotic is the right word. I think for me, it's more like... I'm just like, damn it. Like, you know, like I'm, I I almost, it's not anger, but I'm just like, why does one more person have to feel this, you know? And like, there's different, there's different things that, different situations that warrant different responses, you know, like a grandfather who lived a super long life or whatever, like not to say it hurts any less, but it is different than, you know, your dad being taken at seven or my dad being taken at when I was 28. There's like just these different waves that you kind of have to ride. And so I try to do a really good job of like sinking myself into like, okay, what must this feel like for her? Yeah. You know? I'm going to jot that down because (laughs) I can still take the, you know, take all the advice and and, and being there for the people you care about. And, and even, it doesn't even have to be, uh, you know, necessarily human. For instance, my, my aunt just lost her puppy Prince and yeah. he's, he was 14. Oh my God, yeah. And she, I think she got him when he was like one or, mm-hmm. one or two. Mm-hmm. And it's literally, it's like losing a son for her. And I, and I text her and I kind of backspace and text like three or four times. And I, I think what I ended up calling Hades, I'm really sorry to hear about Prince. Love you to death. Um, and she texts back, you know, oh, I love you too. But I was like, oh, was that like, <laughs> did that emotion come out? Yeah. Um, so. No. And I love that you said that. It's like, and I have been trying to bring that up recently of, you know, we don't really have to like divulge too much into this, but like grief is also such an umbrella, right? Like 
my girlfriend texted me yesterday and she went through a breakup and she's like, is it like okay to be grieving a breakup? And I was like, yeah, it's a loss. It's a different kind, but there are so many different waves. You know, there's like the loss of a human life. There's a loss of a pet, a loss of a breakup, a loss of a job, a life that you had planned out for yourself that took a detour. Like I have yeah. said that ex- exact thing to friends and kind of, yeah, my girlfriend's already realized I'm kind of, you know, that something happens, monumental to friends, I phone's ringing. Yeah. Um, but some, in the case of some breakups in the last few years, I've told them, you know, you are grieving. This is, you're losing this person. Mm-hmm. And in a probably per- twisted sense, and it's kind of like they're dying in a sense because it's someone you went from seeing, if not every day, every other day, mm-hmm. you know, being in your life every day, and potentially they're they're gone. And I look at it, you know, how is that really any different? They're in your life every day. Now they're gone. You may never see or talk to them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's okay to, like, feel all those emotions, and, and you are grieving. In a sense. Mm-hmm. I, I think, for me, I don't necessarily as- associate grieving with the death as much as I associate it with loss mm. and that's oh that's like kinda, so well said how, how I've looked at it that's really beautifully put I might I might borrow that <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you said that your own personal grief has like completely changed who you are as a person is there one thing that you can pinpoint the most that you feel like your grief and your loss has taught you mm. Shit, I wasn't prepared for that one. I guess I did not. What? I'm sure there's there's a lot of answers. Um, I don't know what it's taught me. I know, in terms of life lessons, I know it is it. An example when I say like feeling for strangers, COVID yeah. is is a great example. Yeah. And probably around the time, Tess was telling about me is when I did that Instagram live last spring after George Floyd. Yes. And started talking about George Floyd and the protests and everything. And I remember holding, I still have it up, or I have it somewhere around here, holding up that New York Times issue when we had hit like the 100,000 um, casualty mark or uh, COVID, people who died from COVID. And I read almost all those lines because we get so caught up in the headlines and the news and no one wants to, to watch the news and no one trusts the news. And it's not about that. It's that 100,000 people are dead. And it's not just 100,000 lost lives. Every one of those persons probably connected to 5, 7, mm. 20, 50 people. And I thought about, you know, at that point, holidays will be coming up in a few months. You know, there's going to be some empty chairs at those tables. And that is what, going back to when we first started this call today, um, when you see me getting really angry or, you know, going off on Instagram, it's because I feel like everyone's losing sight of that. And there's been so much, uh, just, you know, let everyone get it or, you know, put these people together. And it's like, what? Or, you know, I'm sure, uh, you've heard, uh, well, it's only this number. One is too many because, is that one the matriarch or the patriarch of the family? Is mm-hmm. that someone's son? That's it's, someone's I, someone. We are too, as a collective society, okay with death. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know, 
And I wrote about that. Uh, I think it was at, it was the day there was like the El Paso shooting, and then there was another mass shooting that evening. And I wrote uh, uh, a post called uh, "Did You Make It Home?" Mm-hmm. Because that that is what I think about when those headlines hit. Is that someone's losing something, be it a daughter, a mother, a father, a, a fiance, and that that hurts me because. I forgot what you said earlier, but you feel that because you've gone through it. You know what that loss is like. A person's not coming to the door anymore. You're not watching your favorite movie. You're not doing whatever it is with them anymore. And and, and that is what I think about. Wow. So. Wow. That just like completely expanded my mind. So my dad used to say something. Um, he used to say everyone is the most important person in someone's life and they deserve to be treated that way. And yeah, but I yes. – <laughs> and it's so true. It's literally just exactly what you said, and I think that one death, it ripple affects so many other people. It is not the number of deaths. It's like multiply that by 10 exactly. because exactly. the way that we feel and, like, the people who go through grief, like, it is agonizing. It's horrible, and so there's so much more than just the actual loss of a life. It's like people are suffering. Yes, and then you start thinking beautifully about not even that. Like, this is day one out of, of their road, right. their road to recovery. And, you know, for some people, you or I might make it look easy, but we can, I'm sure we can both tell everyone mm-hmm. it's not easy at all. Um, but, you know, that you feel for that, you feel for the physical loss, but you know the emotional, the, excuse me, the emotional and the mental kind of battles and hurdles that are waiting every individual person in this ripple effect. Um, and you know, that that's what hits you. Yeah. Uh, Sorrel, you're incredible. I'm so thankful to know you and thankful that you cracked wide open and shared yourself with all of us. Um, what an incredible story and outlook and so much wisdom and advice to take away from this conversation. So thank you. Thank you again for the invite. I'm, I'm sure your listeners will, pick up very quickly that he rambles on and I do I love it <laughs> I, no I get a I start at point a and before you know it I'm like way down the alphabet but again just thank you so much for the opportunity I love listening I am sporadic and I, I don't listen in sequence but I bounce around to love it whatever catches me and what you're doing is great and on behalf of everyone just thank you for doing this so. mm, thank you so much for the love there you have it, a another expansive, touching interview centered around the grieving experience. And as I like to say, grief is tragic, but it's also magic, right? It's both, and it does so much to our insides, our souls, our spirits, our daily rhythms, our relationships, and the aches are so brutal. But when we give it air, when we give those aches somewhere to land, when we let it breathe— We not only give ourselves the space to continue to heal, we hopefully help others in the process and we keep our loved ones alive, right? We speak their names. So thank you so much for being here. Um, And as I mentioned in the intro, if you'd like some additional support from someone who's also experiencing loss, it would be an honor to hold that space for you. Um, You can visit me on Wizio, where I'll respond to your questions, pain points on where you feel stuck and just shed any light where necessary through personalized video responses within two days. So that's wizio.com forward slash Cassandra Eldridge. And that link is 
in the show notes. Um, One last thing before I leave you, just a loving, gentle reminder that you are not in any of this alone. I say this all the time, but I just feel really, really pulled to say it here once more. I'll see you back here next week.